Welcome to another episode of the Business Exchange, How Business Works, brought to you by the American Business Council. And the Business Exchange is a bi-weekly program where business executives and industry experts share insights on how business works and also they share the deep dive in the biggest stories um, around the business or the sector they operate. And so my name is Margaret Olele. I'm your host. Uh, so today, our discussion will be on healthcare progression in West Africa, uh, leveraging uh, technology to, to drive healthcare. So, you know, healthcare has become in Africa a very favorite um, uh, topic. It's been a real hot topic, especially uh, when we look at the, these areas that focus on the continent's um, challenges in the, in the field of health. Often we have the, the, the main culprits. We have the, the problem of lack of access to basic healthcare. We have poor healthcare infrastructure, no thanks to uh, poor funding from government. And, and we know that this um, contributes to um, health tragedies in the continent. So when you look at things like the maternal and the child mortality, as well as the uh, medical tourism that continues to deplete and hemorrhage, uh, scares very um, few foreign exchange that we have or little foreign exchange we have in the country and and I'm sure it's not just about Nigeria it runs across most of uh, the continent so it becomes a critical conversation uh, when we look at the the challenges we face uh, there but you know and thankfully uh, in spite of these uh, negative um, outcomes and challenges with, with the coming of technology has become an area more companies are exploiting and also utilizing to revamp uh, the state of healthcare in Africa. So on this episode of the podcast, you know, which interestingly ties to um, the month where we have the International World Health Day celebrated on the 7th of um, April, uh, we will speak about the game changers and we'll look at, you know, those who are leading the charge in the healthcare progression through the aid of technology and perhaps some other expertise areas that we have not um, considered. So to join us, um, please follow us on at abcouncil underscore ng on Instagram and on LinkedIn American Business Council using the hashtag, um, hashtag the ABC Business Exchange to continue the conversation. Uh, on this special episode, I have with me um, Shola Gudipe, the health editor of Vanguard Nigeria. I mean, uh, this is someone I've known, a friend I've known for um, close to a quarter of a century, but that's another conversation for another day. We have um, uh, Virtue Oboro, she's the founder of um, Tiny Hearts Technology. We have Brian Mizwer, co-founder of Life Stores Healthcare, and uh, Chukwe Bukere, and IAG, the co-founder of Yanga Clinic. So I, I I'll start with, um, uh, with, I mean, it's not in any order of importance, but just to start with um, Vecchio and to say that Vecchio Obaru is an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur mm, from Nigeria who co-founded the organization Tiny Hearts Technology with her business uh, partner, um, um, Izuokomo Obaru. I want to believe that maybe someone she knows very well. The organization focuses on raising awareness and educating Nigerian women about neonatal jaundice, at the same time producing and deploying um, cost-effective solar product 
phototherapy units for the treatment of neonatal jaundice. Uh, Virtue was inspired to start the organization after her son was diagnosed with severe neonatal jaundice in 2016. I would say that Virtue has also been very much around my space, and I know that um, she was uh, one of the winners of our digital um, economy uh, competition that we had, um, you know, last uh, in 2020. And so I know she's also been very much in the space of um, getting uh, a lot of um, uh, interest from her innovative uh, projects. And next we have Brian Mizuer. Uh, Brian Mizuer is the co-founder and CEO of Lifestore Healthcare. It's a Lagos-based startup building the pharmacy of the future. Brian is an alumni fellow of the Harvard Forum for Growth and Innovation, where he founded Bani Ventures, an investment company focused on funding and building market-creating companies. Now, Brian is also a co-founder and board member of Wave Academies, an Obama-founded African leader, and is published on Foreign Affairs and Harvard Business School. Brian was previously manager at Bain and Company, working in the London and Johannesburg offices and was a founding member of the Bain um, Lagos um, office. So now Brian graduated with a Bachelor's of Science, first class in mathematics and, and statistics from Warwick University and a Master's in Business Administration from Harvard Business School. So this is about, you know, really using, using that thing which God has given you to, to help uh, the space that we are at. <laughs> so um then we have uh dr um chukwe buke anaiji uh he is a graduate of a, uh, from the college of medicine university of lagos Ebuke is a dentist and a co-founder of wait to hear this younger dentals uh a, a dental this is a dental health care startup with a with the aim of innovating around uh providing uh to care for people who cannot afford or are, on, are not informed about healthcare, oral healthcare, and also for young dentists who cannot afford a practice space. So before um, founding Yanga, he was uh, also um, a supplier of dental materials and consumables to clinics and uh, training centers. And so, you know, uh, these are, um, you know, the great, uh, team you know that have joined us today I've, like i said shola has as um distinct in journalism pants well over um uh, 30 years at least the one i know i'm sure he's going to correct me if i'm wrong and uh, and when i say uh, he's um uh, a strong the strong voice that strong voice because i know that he's also mentored a lot of um health journalists in that space uh, i know currently i work in a lot of uh um, you know, places like BBC, CNN, at all. I don't want to mention their names, but yes, I know that he's also mentioned, mentored quite a lot of journalists as well as playing um, heavily in the space of healthcare. So welcome everyone to this show. Thank you very much. Yeah. So uh, can you just give me uh, some insights into what you do, into how you got into this whole idea? you know, in the first place. Okay, um, thank you for the opportunity. I I was, I was just um, about, it was two days after I gave birth to my son um, that 
that my mom, not myself, my mom noticed that his eyes were yellow and um, she showed me. To me, it, it wasn't, it didn't sink in as a problem. But then, um, to cut the long story short, he was diagnosed for severe neonatal jaundice. And one of the reasons why it went severe was because we had stayed for up to 48 hours after the jaundice had started. And the jaundice was really very high. And even though it was diagnosed, um, um, the doctor said they didn't have a, um, a phototherapy unit to start his treatment or to admit him. And my prayer was that we could find, you know, a unit to use because a parent has decided to sign against admission because we had called other hospitals and they didn't have. And the ones that had they had them occupied. So we waited for a couple of hours and his health deteriorated to some extent. In fact, the doctors had to um, recommend an emergency exchange blood transfusion at least to reduce the jaundice before phototherapy starts. And that's what happened. For, um, we went for an exchange blood transfusion, which is a long and painful process for both babies, stressful for the healthcare worker and um, mentally draining for myself as the mother. So um, we we went through all of that process. And even after he was fine, we, we had to also deal with the after effects of, photother of the phototherapy light that was used on him. And that included skin bone, high temperature, and, um, um, you know, dehydration while he was undergoing treatment. And that's the basis of the idea of tiny house technology. Um, the, the, um, what, what happened to us in the hospital was a trigger to find a solution. And at the time, a business was not at the back of my mind. I just needed to find a solution for my baby and for other babies at that point in time. So um, um, I basically just asked questions from the doctors, from other mothers, myself and we started myself and my husband started building the crib glow unit, and then um, before we eventually thought, okay, we cannot just build a product without a business name, and then we started building. We we registered a business, and that's how Tiny Hearts came came about. Wow, that's that's a that's a great story. And people always say, and and I, and I believe it's true, that you know, for every space you have challenges you're able to get pockets of opportunities around that. This is a clear example of that. So yes, yeah. you just shared that you had, a, uh, you set up the uh, cream and glow, um, mm. which, and, and from what I understand, this works with uh, solar energy. Uh, knowing for yes. that your challenge in West Africa, in addition to, you know, the, the lack of technological equipment is also the lack of electric, electricity access in places like, uh, country Nigeria. So now how do you, does this hinder technological advances in the place of health overall? And what are the things you um, you, you, you think we can do uh, to uh, avoid these challenges? I mean, um, I, know you, I know you're not government, but you know, any, yeah. any thought can, can help. Yes. Um, if I, um, let me understand you better. You're asking how the Kriba Glow um, um, how it hinders technological problems in the in the in 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 the health sector? No, no, I'm asking. You know, you're using solar uh, energy. 
for yes yeah so it means that you have you have identified that there is a a deficit in electricity access in places like our country Nigeria so um, yes. obviously this is one area that uh, hinders technological advancement in the place of health and so yes. what, what are some of the things you you feel can be done to avoid these and similar problems for people who want to get into um, healthcare? Um, I think the major technological problems problem in the health sector is access to power. Um, one of the reasons why we delved into this into this sector was because even while we were at the hospital, the hospital also had that problem and it was a big government hospital in the state capital. It means that um, in many hospitals in Nigeria, and especially in rural areas, there's almost no access to electricity. And because of that, the medical equipment that should be purchased and deployed to places like this may not really be, be functional because there's no power to make them work. Um, the essence of tiny hearts and equivalent glow units, in fact, one of the things we stand for is building innovations that are community friendly. Um, we are trying to build, build innovations that work in thriving communities. Thriving communities, for example, communities where there's no electricity. How do we build medical devices that will work in such places? It's either it works with a battery, it works with solar, or, um, or it's something that is always used manually, you know? And I, I, I know to an extent that some of the hospitals and primary health centers we have had our interventions in, a lot of them are now more familiar with products that are solar powered because they have been exposed to them. The first example I'll give you is the Criba Glow Unit. As soon as they became exposed to the Criba Glow Unit, they now know and understand that, okay, if there's no electricity, there can still be power from solar. There can still be power from the battery. It means we can make, we can get other medical devices that can work with solar or can be used manually or that can be, or that can be used by uh, used with a battery. And I think that this is a good sign because when people in the rural areas are know or uh, when they know or they are aware that the medical devices that are deployed to them can be used independent of electricity, then they become more open to receiving them. Some communities when we get there, we see, it's not as if there are no medical devices. Sometimes we see the medical devices, but their line follows. Some of them have been damaged. Some of them are spoiled from lack of use because there's no electricity to power them. So the people don't even believe that such things work. And as such, when they saw or when they see, um, uh, when they saw the Crib Glow for the first time, they see it come on without, without relying on a generator or um, electricity. Then, they, sh they have more interest, they ask more questions, and then the right thing is done. So um, if we continue like this, I think we're on the way to, to, to causing a great change in, um, technological, in the technological sector as far as healthcare is concerned. Yeah, thank you so much for, for, for those um, insights. Very well appreciated. Um, and, and uh, you know, you talked about your experience happening in a, a major um, hospital, government hospital in the state capital. And my, my concern then is if this is happening or if this happened in, a, in, in, in such a place, 
then mm. you know what may be happening in the rural areas. So mm. how have you helped and how have your um, technological advancements and the crib and glue um, helped in positively impact in rural areas in West Africa? Have, have you have you moved into rural areas? What projects do you have you know, with the crib and glue? Okay, um, yes. In fact, we had rural areas at the back of our minds when we started. We, we targeted um, places where first there no, maybe there's no functional primary health center. Then we also targeted places where there are primary health centers, but they are not really functioning. And then we now started to target the ones that are functioning and then functional hospitals in urban areas. And the reason why we started that way is because there is a more likely chance that babies in the urban cities would have access to phototherapy compared to the babies in rural areas where the knowledge about jaundice is not even there. And so far, we have even made more impacts, far more in the rural areas compared to the urban cities. And um, it put a strain on our business at some point because we had to, in fact, it made us actually divide um, divide our attention and separate our goals into two organizations. One is now a foundation, the Yellow Alert Foundation, where we carry out the sensitization program, as well as partner with other organizations to purchase the Kriba Glow Unit and the jaundice test kits and deploy to these communities. We had community at the back of our minds or rural areas at the back of our minds or as, as one of our key, um, key areas of impact when we started. And because we didn't want to leave it, we had to um, make sure that it thrived and then we had to birth a non-profit organization from it. So while Tiny House Technology produces and sells and rents, Yellow Alert is able to look for other forms of partnership from organizations to purchase the Kriba Glow unit from Tiny House Technology and be deployed. Sometimes it's purchased um, through our own distributors, not necessarily directly from Tiny House Technology. So it depends on what kind of partnerships we have. But then our largest or our highest points of impact have been rural areas. And then coming to the semi-urban city, or semi-urban semi areas or the urban areas, um, we have the Kriba Glow Unit in many hospitals across the West and the South-South very much more. We've not really covered the North. Um, but we are hoping to cover the north in the next, say, from the later parts of this year. We hope that we'll be able to cover some parts of northern Nigeria. Fantastic. Um, so, so uh, I'm sure you know that uh, this uh, month uh, the world celebrated uh, the the International Health Day, and yeah. uh, I believe that was on the seventh of April. Okay. And yeah. What what and I obviously um they, they they would they would have the theme every year they have a theme and this year the theme ties with you know um and the healthy environment begets like a um healthy um uh, health right? so without a clean environment so to speak um we're just joking about issues of health uh, so mm. what, what um do you have any message you want to get across um as the the, the, the world celebrate or celebrated um, this year's uh, World Health Day? Um, yes, I think this is coming at a good time where we'll be preaching 
we've been preaching and talking about renewable energy, clean energy, keeping the environment clean. Um, while we are solving the problem of neonatal jaundice awareness, um, solving the problem of um, accessible um, accessible medical devices or healthcare delivery. We are also passionate about a safe environment. And my dream is that every hospital or every um, primary, every health center that gets or that starts to use a medical device is also aware of the of the benefits of ensuring that clean and safe energy is attached to those devices. Um, the essence of not having to power generators and you know pumping toxic fumes into the air is priceless. Sometimes we are trying to treat some, we are trying to treat a problem, and on the other hand, we are pumping the same problems into the atmosphere. We're trying to treat respiratory issues and we are pumping toxic fumes into the air from generators, from faulty generators everywhere. Um, one of the reasons why I want the renewable energy sector and the health sector to come together to make this work is because it will help eventually, it will help we as human beings, the users of the, the producers of the devices, the users of the devices, and even the beneficiaries of these devices. So um, for me, I would say that clean and renewable energy can cannot be overemphasized. In fact, we should keep clamoring for clean and renewable energy in the health sector to give us a clean and uh, uh, a, 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 a beautiful environment for us to, to live in. Yeah, that's that's just a great um, summary of a lot of things that I've, I've heard this uh, month. Um, there was the, the case of uh, a gentleman who um, is helping uh, get dentists into one space as opposed to um, several areas at the same time so reducing the you know mm. possible energy um waste and you know, the mm. seek fuel um, um that 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 would keep going out there you know the combustion and all that you know uh the carbon monoxide heat yeah. in the in this world um we've had uh, journalists talk about how they tend to use less paper um, with the, with with technology, so yes, um, there's there's quite a lot that um, one should focus on uh, as 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 uh, one tries to resolve health issues and health challenges in West Africa. I'll go straight to Ishola, and um, I'll say Ishola, I know you've had several years of experience in the healthcare space. Can you please share, you know, what you think has occurred so far? And how you really see technology in terms of you know the way it's improved the healthcare um, sector, especially access. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I would say there has been a tremendous shift in the practice of journalism, uh, you know, in Nigeria and across the world over the years. And, um, you know, when I started journalism, there was no internet. There was nothing like the internet. Everything was uh, analog, you know, so to speak. Uh, even in the newsroom, everything had to be done. You know, you had to do longhand. 
had to write out your, your story and then it had to be typed on the IBM typewriters. You had to prepare the, um, you know, what they call the, the uh, layout sheets. You know, everything was manual, but in the past, um, well, close to two decades or so, you know, all that has changed with the coming of the internet. And that has really affected uh, how profession is practiced. Today, you'll agree with me, there is no media organization that cannot afford to be online because um, online has become, you know, the, the, the web, the web has virtually changed the entire world. So um, we've gone from just reporting what is happening within our immediate locality. You know, the world has become a global village. So whatever is happening in Nigeria right now at this moment is of interest to every other person all over the world. So that perspective has changed. We are, not, we are no longer reporting just for the local uh, community, but for the entire world. Mm, and interesting. Has, uh, sorry, okay, let me, yes. I, let me not cut in. Go on, go on, let me see. Yes, and this has um, influenced what we need to do and how we also do it. Part of being an effective journalist, being an effective journalist today entails you being uh, tech savvy. I mean, you need to be able to engage on social media even for resources, you know, you need resources. If you are working on a particular story and you want to do a research, you know, the website is there. You can reach out to the experts on, uh, you know, social media, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And um, also, even in the journalism institutions, you know, for training, this has also, things have also changed. Okay, so, so, so Shola, that's why I want to jump in here because, um, um, you know, while we are looking at, I mean, you're, you're, you obviously went to caps. You're wearing the cap of a journalist, but you're also wearing the cap of someone who's who's played um, or is playing actively in the healthcare space. So, from what you see in terms of the observation, have you seen, um, you know, in the healthcare space, have you seen the transition from, you know, what, you know, to to that the, the technology um, support for um, on, on healthcare that's helped really improve um, the, the space. What what are you seeing um, in terms of, you know, um, as a journalist, you've, have you seen some growth or development in, in, in the tech, uh, especially when I look at a report that you have written, a uh, report, uh, you, actually you wrote this in 2018 on, you know, the experts um, have on technology improved healthcare in Nigeria. And uh, yeah, and I think that interview you, I, I think you interviewed the president of the Healthcare Federation of Nigeria at that time, and it talked and, and and this um, article, you know, uh, talked about the challenges facing healthcare and including issues around financing and access to capital, as well as the importance of uh, collaborating with. Um, uh, you know, sectors outside of healthcare to deliver viable solutions. So do you see, um, you see a trend uh, that's, that's going on in this, in the space. And if so, if not, what are the problems you see um, that's uh, not um, getting the interesting marriage between technology and healthcare? 
Okay, yes. Yeah, we cannot, uh, we have to admit, yes, there have been some changes. Um, uh, you know, like I said, yes, we can see and actually, uh, you know, also uh, perceive the effect, you know, of technology um, uh, as far as healthcare in Nigeria is concerned. But we need to, um, um, you know, we need to stress that things can be better than they are, because uh, in the first place, health is not giving the priority it deserves in Nigeria. It is not. If we look at the budgetary allocation, health is not one of the prioritized, um, uh, you know, areas, and that is already a false start because if we are not prioritizing health then any other thing that could, you know comes after that will just be playing catch up our healthcare our tertiary uh, hospitals there was a time they were being called glorified uh, consulting clinics well today in a way we can still see they might just be slightly better off because if we look at equipment, uh, you know, nowadays the medical uh, field is so dynamic; things change so rapidly. You know, they're so rapid, so that even equi equipment that was probably purchased in the last couple of years might be obsolete today. And we need to continue to evolve. But in Nigeria, you know, we still have that challenge. We are not really, um, we're still playing catch up. And this is really affecting healthcare delivery. It's affecting our health indices. It's affecting uh, you know, the quality of life for okay. the average Nigerian. All right, so so I would, I'll pause at, at this point because I, I'll get back to you on, on some of these uh, things you have just um, highlighted. I would go straight to uh, to, uh brian and i would i would ask you know you to first of all give me a quick insight on what your how your organization came about and perhaps also uh, provide to us you know how you're running in some way or the other with technology or with some new um innovation uh, in, in 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 driving opportunities around the healthcare space i, I mean obviously uh, i mean for for most of for those who don't know about how um, people, patients go for treatment in Nigeria, um, the pharmaceutical space play a very critical uh, role, plays a very critical role because sometimes people go to pharmacies, you know, you know, just like a first line as opposed to going, going to uh, the GP. So I, I, I would um, hand over to you, Brian. Can you please go? Yes, of course. Uh, thank you so much, Margaret, and uh, pleasure to be here with uh, with this illustrious panel. Um, and thanks for, uh, for 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 running this podcast. Um, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we represent Life Stores, and you know, really the the journey that we came to um, is quite similar to what you've described. Uh, in that, we very quickly realized that pharmacies play this very central role in delivering healthcare um, in Nigeria and, and beyond. Um, and for us, the vision has always been around better access to care, so better access to healthcare. And we felt that you know one of the best ways to do that was actually to support pharmacies 
and help them do a better job of um, treating and redirecting the folks um, that are visiting um, pharmacists. Uh, my background from a family perspective is, is in healthcare. Um, both my parents are in healthcare. Uh, I have two siblings uh, in healthcare and I have an uncle who's a pharmacist. Um, and so it was quite natural when I thought about a business to, to work on to try and you know really bring social impact um, to uh, to Nigeria, um, to look at the healthcare space and think about how to make an impact there, um, and and it's a huge market, the pharmace- pharmaceutical market. Um, I believe in in Africa, um, McKinsey, uh, the consulting firm, did a, a report a few years ago that valued the market at 45 billion uh, USD um, per year, um, growing at around 10% um, annually. Um, and you know, if you look at that market as a continent, the the bulk of it is actually represented by, you know, maybe the top seven or top ten countries. You know, so Nigeria, Egypt, you know, South Africa, uh, Kenya as well is a is a significant market. Um, and there are millions of pharmacists and chemists that are effectively the the main contact points for patients. You know, all across these markets. Um, but in most cases, it's very fragmented, right? So perhaps with a few exceptions like South Africa, in most of these markets, you have the largest pharmacy chain, the largest retailer would be maybe about 1% or 2% market share of the overall market. So to put that in perspective, you know, you know if you're sitting in, a, in the US and you, know, you go to a Walgreens or a CVS, they would represent around 20% to 30% of the overall market share. Um, so much more consolidated in a much larger market. And, and there are some great benefits to having this consolidation and coordination um, because you can buy medicines um, in bulk at a cheaper price. You can offer a, you know, a standard of care that is, um, that is consistent. Um, and uh, you can train pharmacists to, um, to really work in a, in, a, in a clear and consistent manner. Um, we have the opposite, you know, where we have this fragmentation and really, you know, various uh, brands and various pharmacists do things in their own way. Um, and then to layer on top of that, we have the, the fact that, you know, in our markets, uh, most people are paying out of pocket. So 95% of transactions uh, are uninsured in general. Um, and so that means that from a patient's perspective, you know, they're typically waiting until it gets so bad that it's unbearable before they go to uh, to, to make a health transaction versus um, you know planning ahead of, of the game and investing in preventative uh, interventions um, and so really you know all of the ingredients of um, you know a challenging space um, and you know when you kind of look at the macro picture as well and the amount of budget the government has um, to invest in the space, it's quite clear, you know, you know, some of the drivers of, of the challenges that we have, you know, in the space around access to care. Um, so from our perspective as a company, one of the most important things was um, to work side by side with pharmacies, you know, rather than necessarily, you know, thinking that we had the magic bullet to come and try and solve everything. Um, when we launched Life Stores, we initially um, just tried to run pharmacies ourselves. You know, we partnered with with pharmacists to run a few pharmacies ourselves to understand the challenges at play. Um, and in that process, we built software 
um, that you know effectively allows pharmacies um, to run their operations end to end in a more effective way. Um, our software helps them with uh, procuring medicines as a group, so coordinating you know this kind of long tail of uh, of you know mom and pop stores and getting them to to order from manufacturers and from wholesalers in bulk and get discounts. Um, the software also helps them to get access to financing, um, to, to finance those orders if they need to. Um, and then on the patient facing side, you know, our software allows them to, to firstly sell to patients um, through a point of sales module, um, but also to interact with patients over time um, through a, a healthcare loyalty wallet and various uh, omnichannel interaction tools. Um, and then crucially, we're looking for ways to actually train and upskill pharmacists through the software. Um, so, um, you know, education, um, you know, linking them with uh, regulators, with associations, um, really with the goal that, you know, over time we can replicate many of the benefits that um, countries where you have a consolidated lead in the space um, and have access to. Um, and so, so that's the the nature of of what we do, and you know that's a bit of our journey uh, to get there. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, and um, I, I would I would go over to Ibuke. And um, first of all, I find the name uh, Yanga Dental Clinic is very interesting. I I went online today to to really check. You know, the word Yanga is what we use very often in Nigeria, and Yang, Yanga. You know, that's. Uh, uh, you know, doing like uh, Shakara show off and all that, you know, um, in the pidgin and local language. Um, and and I, you know, found it interesting that we're tying this now to um, to healthcare, specifically to a clinic. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, how did you start um, to first of all, give us a sense of what the landscape, the dental medical um, uh, space is like? And then, you know, um, how did you, you know, get into the space and leveraging tech um, to drive it? Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Margaret. Thank Margaret. you, everyone. Um, it's a honor to be in such a very big meeting. Uh, so the name Yanga, uh, the name Yanga, uh, I'll come to the name Yanga and why we specifically chose Yanga. But um, how I got into the dental health space, um, I was a I'm a dentist by profession, and back then in school, uh, I've always been involved in graphic design and UI UX design. Um, but then again, I I like to think problems and solutions. So sometime um, in 2016, we had a little problem in school then with supplies. At, at that time, the dollar had gone up a little, so um, the cost of of dental materials, because we were just getting to dental school, and then the cost of dental materials then was really expensive for the student training model. So I decided to speak to some of some of um, the local suppliers, and the prices were off the roof. And then uh, uh head of department says, look, anyone that can afford this would have to um, would have to defer his admission for a year. And that was 400 level, so you had to defer. And so I and my friend started searching up. I contacted some manufacturers, and um, I discovered that 
the cost wasn't so expensive, including the landing cost here. Um, part of the things that made it really expensive was the fact that a lot of these um, a lot of these suppliers are simply just businessmen and they want to maximize profit. So they could mark up as high as 200% on the items. Um, so I decided to just work directly with the manufacturers and we brought the prices so low for students. Yes, we made a profit off it then. And that was how I got into um, the dental healthcare space. I started out supplying um, materials to students. First in Unilag and then word went out and then got to supply UI, University of Calabar and about five other tertiary institutions. Um, so it was just limited to dental materials and equipment supply at the, at the time. But then sometime in my final year, uh, Lutz ran out of supplies because I, I studied in Lutz. Root ran out of supplies and I started making contacts for clinic materials and um, speaking to manufacturers and local retailers and suppliers as well. And I discovered that again, if we were to import this directly and brought it down, the markup wouldn't be as high as um, as what it currently is because they add up, like I said, as much as 200%. So I decided, look, dental healthcare shouldn't be as expensive as it is in Nigeria because part of the problem has always been access. And for access, I believe there are a lot of things in, in place. First is the high cost of starting up a dental practice. This is one of the major reasons why a lot of dentists um, just rather go into residency or they work in private practice uh, because, for instance, a dental check would cost as high as five to seven million. Right. So um, for, a, for a standard dental practice, you need about two chairs and amongst other equipment you need to get. So it was very high cost. And then uh, when I got a hint of what the cost of materials and all that could be, I also contacted some manufacturers in China to find out, OK, what is the cost to get a good chair at least that could set up a practice? And I discovered the cost won't be so much and that way we can increase access. So right from 2017, 2018, I started putting down um, plans on how to improve the access problem as far as dentistry is concerned, right, starting from Nigeria. and um, so part of the part of the things uh, I wrote down then was we needed to ensure that all data was digitized, all data was digitized because even right in loot, I found that the, the amount of time it takes to get out the patient's case note alone. Uh, sometimes we are running running from records to the past department the patient was seen in, and sometimes the patient comes in three years after we we've lost all the data we can't find the case notes. We have to go back to creating a new plain case note again for this patient. So part of the things um, we thought about was first of all data must be digitized. So from the get go, we have to start up working with an EMR. Then secondly, in improving access, we thought there are, about, there are over 4,600 dentists in Nigeria. And a lot of these people are not in private practice because of the high cost of setting up. So we thought, how about if we are able to set up low-cost branches that are very equipped 
and we are able to lease out this space as well to dentists. So in their spare time, they can see their patients. Because a lot of these dentists in their local communities, people know that, oh, this guy is a dentist, this guy is a dentist. But by the time he says, oh, come to my clinic, the clinic fees are so expensive because you won't blame the practice owner. He has to make a profit. The cost of importing is high. The cost of buying from local manufacturers is high. So he has to make a profit as well. So when the patient comes in, the cost is usually very high. So we thought, look, these dentists have um, a community around them already. They have people that call them up and they just do consultations over the phone and refer maybe to a federal institution. So we thought, why not open our clinic space as well for these dentists to come in and see their own patients? And um, that also started as a very important part of Yanga. So we, uh, we plan to set up clinics in as many locations as possible, uh, leasing out the space for dentists to use. So the dentists just pay us a small fee per procedure that they get done. And we have been running this for about 10 months now. And so far, I think the numbers have been great. So, so far we have seen a lot of dentists coming to use the space with their personal patients, uh, with their private patients, um, seeing patients that otherwise they would have um, not seen. Okay. So um, basically that is, that is how Yanga started right to where we are at the point. Uh, also, we started off with an EMR, but we are looking to, we were working on our own EMR two months ago. We want to build something more tailored to the African health space because a lot of these um, foreign, um, no offense, a lot of these foreign um, electronic medical records are not tailored to dentistry as it is here. And they are really so expensive. like. On an average, they charge about 400, $300 to $400 per month. And in some clinics, that's even more than the, that's even more than, um, the cost of materials in a month. So we're looking, for, we're looking to build something that would be, um, at the very least, maybe between, we'll start off at maybe about 30 to 50,000. So patients can, so clinics can as well use this and um, digitize their records as well. It has automated uh, recall system so they don't have to manually call up patients. Basically, building um, features into it that would um, ensure that the patient at every point in time is followed up on his treatment, his records are safe, and, 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 and um, he gets to get uh, optimum care from the clinic. Okay. So we are working on that as well. So. Okay. Uh, so that question I would like you to answer is why Yanga? Why Yanga? <laughs> okay. So, so because of what we were trying to do, what we were trying to do, we thought we have to pick a name that is um, very common, a name that everyone can relate to. And above all, we wanted a name that would evoke an emotion. So normally we have dental clinics that have really nice names. And so while we were deliberating on the name, we had like some nice names and then we had Yanga. But we noticed one thing. Notice that whenever we asked people, what do you think about Yanga? It was one of two things. You either loved the name or you hated it. There was really no center line. And um, 
that kind of emotion was what we needed. We needed something that could easily resonate with people and could easily register in their minds and make them ask why. So whenever I go out and I say, oh, um, I work at Yanga Dental Clinic, people ask, ah, Yanga, why Yanga? And I'm like, that's the point of it. Why Yanga? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, if I, if I look at um, the issue around dental health and, you know, where you, um, you, you, you have the level of confidence, for instance, if you, if you have um, your, your teeth, that it's not, um, sorry, can you mute so that they're able to, otherwise the sound, yeah. So, so yeah, so when you have uh, issues of uh, uh, maybe teeth that's not so clean or so white, the, the confidence level is very low. I recall there was this ad advert about, you know, sparkling teeth and, you know, somebody uh, hiding and not feeling confident and all that. So again, when I look at it from that point of view, I say, okay, yeah, I mean, a dental clinic that adds or give, provides confidence at an affordable price, you know, uh, could be a very great um, conversation when you have. And I, I do recall that we had this um, discussion before and you told me about, you know, the, the beat around teeth whitening, you know, as a major um, area of interest for, 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 for most people in Nigeria. But I mean, this is very interesting and I'm sure that, you know, it's some conversation we can um, we can continue. Well, again, uh, so I, I go to um, uh, uh, Brian quickly. I know you had shared about the partnerships you had with other pharmacies. The question is, um, you know, how has it made, uh, you know, medicine accessible um, so to to people? And, and, you know, like how many states, for instance, you have life store, um, you know, pharmacy right now? How many people have you been able to reach? In a sense, I mean, it may not be possible to, you know, know that through um, these uh, partnerships. Thanks for the question, Margaret. Uh, you're absolutely right that you know that's one of the the key metrics that we we look at is, uh, you know, in the pharmacies that we we partner with, um, how many patients uh, to the best of our ability that we can estimate, how many patients are we actually uh, touching? Uh, so in many ways, our, our most important metric is number of lives touched, number of patients touched. Um, so today we have uh, around 500 pharmacies uh, registered um, with us um, that are you know, using our software. Um, and so these are 500 unique pharmacies uh, rather than 500 brands. There are a few brands in there as well. Um, that's uh, across uh, five states, uh, although primarily our target market, our core market today is still Lagos. Um, and these pharmacies do a range of things with us. Um, at, at the very extreme on one end, uh, there's a, a small subset of pharmacies that we actually directly operate. So we've partnered with a pharmacist, but we basically run that store end to end um, and we can use all uh, features you know, within our software in, in those pharmacies. And actually they're fantastic for us to test uh, new features, uh, new software uh, before we launch it out to the rest of the network. Um, and then at the other extreme, uh, we have folks that are using our software um, just to buy medicines. Um, you know, we have a, an interface 
that is, you know, very similar to kind of, uh, you know, maybe Amazon or some other kind of e-commerce uh, interface, perhaps Jumia. <clears throat> um, and, you know, the pharmacists can use our software um, to uh, to purchase medicines directly from, from wholesalers um, and from manufacturers. In between that, we have a few other services. We have some pharmacies that are using our software to run their overall business in addition to, to buying medicines. Some that are using our software to get access um, to finance. Um, and increasingly, quite a few are using more patient-facing features in our software. So to communicate with patients um, and also to uh, to offer loyalty programs um, to patients and their network. Um, our ambition is to grow the engagement of technology um, across across that network in our software, because the more we do that, the more we have full transparency as to um, how much patient impact we're actually creating. Um, we know that across the network of pharmacies that we we serve today, especially the most active ones, we're touching um, over 200,000 patients um, annually. Um, and, you know, we'd love that number to grow to millions of patients um, in the coming year. Um, and so part of the work is to keep growing that network and keep growing engagement. Um, but also part of it is for us to have more full visibility, um, you know, into real time uh, patient usage of the medicines that pass through our network. Thank you so much, Brian. I, I, I just want to um, look at, you know, um, this conversation we are having, you know, within the larger conversation on the International uh, World um, Health Day uh, with the focus on keeping uh, the human and planet healthy and really, um, you know, saying that our planet, you know, um, if our planet is healthy, then we are likely to remain healthy. And so shall I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing this to you because, you know, um, being a journalist and playing obviously in a lot of space, you know, um, with NGOs and, and all, you may share some perspectives around that. So this um, year's World Health Day, how, how did it resonate in terms of the, the theme and, you know, what, how do you really um, think that it, it, it uh, implies um, uh, to a country like, like Nigeria? Or even when we look at the continent, you know, um, how does the issue of pollution and um, climate crisis impact on healthcare? I mean, triple barred question, but I know you're capable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who's answering now? Is it me? Yes, it's you. <laughs> okay. Okay, thank you. Yes, World Health Day um, 2022. I think. Um, it's um, the thing, you know, it, it didn't really tell us anything we didn't know already, although it was just like an emphasis. Because really, if we look at um, Africa, Nigeria, we tend to neglect our environment. You know, we don't take care of our environment. And um, we need to realize that our environment plays a major role in our individual and collective health. So it, the, the day is more or less like a wake up call. Personally, I mean, from the federal government, as usual, all we got on that day was just, you know, maybe a press conference, there was a release, speeches we had made, and that's the end of it until the next uh, World Health Day. But it goes far beyond that, you know, because the day is only meant to be a call 
uh, action. For instance, there is a lot of talk going on about um, you know, the pollution, the climate change, how much, um, how, how um, involved is Nigeria in that conversation? You know, how much of this does the average Nigerian, you know, know so that you need to, uh, you know, apply? Now, we have a situation where we are in a, an, a, we have an energy crisis. Um, there is no power. Practically every household in Nigeria owns a portable gasoline generator, and we keep polluting the air 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. I mean, all these have effect on the environment. We have a situation where health, everybody pays out of pocket. You know, I've listened to the previous speakers. There is no effective health insurance. Nigerians don't have a health-seeking behavior. We only go to the hospital when there are symptoms. And even when going to that hospital, most people cannot afford to pay. So it's like a vicious circle. You know, it keeps going on and on. And government is not really helping. The media itself, well, the media can only do as much. The media itself is hampered because um, the media is part of the society. And we are also exposed, you know, to, we. I mean, we're Nigerians, first of all, before we are uh, journalists. So we are all, we, I mean, we are part of the situation. Now, before we can uh, pass a message to the, uh, community to tell them, oh, you need to protect your health. You find that even the, the average Nigerian journalist's health is, I mean, we speak for other people's health, but who speaks for the journalists? You know, <laughs> who makes a case for the journalists? Just like the doctors. So it's a situation where we just keep on hoping. I, 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 I expected much more from the Nigerian government on World Health Day, even though the um, World Health Organization um, only, you know, issued recommendations. Those are just recommendations. They are not supposed to be, uh, I mean, they're just to guide each country, take what you can from it, add your own homegrown solutions, and then you go on. So I, I still return to my initial statement that prioritization of health in Nigeria is still, we are still aspiring to that. We need, we didn't hear from the presidency. The presidency didn't make a statement on health, on World Health Day. And that is really, it's a, it's a great minus. There are countries where on World Health Day, there were presidential uh, addresses, you know, speaking to the people and the conversation, you know, goes on from there. We look forward to such happening in Nigeria so that people can really change their habits people can have more confidence you know to be sure that look my health starts with me first even before i go to the hospital i need to have that realization that yes i need to go for a checkup even if i'm not sick even if i'm not you know there are no symptoms i'm already in middle age there are certain um, tests i need to go for you know we need to have this um culture seeking uh, healthcare and um I believe we'll get there, but it's still an uphill task. All right, great. Uh, so, Brian, uh, can you chime in on this? Yeah, very happy to. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, certainly, 
you know, share many of the of the sentiments here, right? Where, you know, for sure we would over time hope to have, you know, a lot more top-down leadership, um, you know, on on health matters, right? Um, you know, it's it's super clear that from a from a budget perspective, uh, from a GDP perspective, um, you know, we're not as blessed, right? You know, at least today, as as some other countries are in terms of the budget that we have to invest in healthcare. Um, but I think you know one thing that the last couple of years, you know, with the pandemic, has really shown us is that when when we don't invest in healthcare, everybody suffers, um, and it's actually not a local uh, phenomenon. It's uh, it's a global one, um, you know, with how interconnected we are. Um, as we come out of this pandemic, you know, I think that uh, various countries are going to have uh, different starting points. Um, you know, vaccination rates are, are very different across the board, um, but also, you know, different healthcare systems have shown their weaknesses and their strong points. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, one thing that at least we hope that we can contribute to from the private sector as we as we look into um, the next phase, right, for healthcare uh, in Nigeria and beyond is um, privatizing or kind of making it uh, market friendly, right? Some elements of that challenge that need to be solved. And so, for example, you know, we know that, you know, all across the world, pharmacies play a very critical critical role in health information, public information, in many cases, even kind of, uh, you know, for the, for the COVID pandemic, um, supporting on vaccinations um, as well. Um, and as we think about one of the lessons, um, you know, from this pandemic, um, you know, off, off of World Health Day um, as well. Um, for us, you know, one of it is probably to enable the private sector um, to take on more of the responsibility um, over time um, to hopefully get that uh, impact and that access to the patients as quickly as possible. Um, so absolutely agree. I mean, I, I think that uh, uh, I know that I saw a few uh, commemorations from a couple of banks. I think First Bank did something uh, recently on, on World Health Day um, and a few other organizations did as well. Um, but certainly what we, we hope for um, in our space is more top-down leadership um, to really coordinate and move things forward. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, when we think about the issue around our health and our, the planet, our health, and the, and the, the, the fact that uh, a healthy, a very healthy uh, planet um, would um, would 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 trigger good um, overall health, and we think of a project like um, what uh, Ibuke has, which is really congregating using one location as opposed to using several locations. Um, you know, understandably, that was meant to help reduce cost for um, young dentists who would want to practice, but also it uh, it, it it tells in the area of uh, reduction of uh, uh, gasoline usage and you know burning of uh, generator and energy and all that that you know further uh, pollute the environment. So when we begin to think of initiatives like that, even within the healthcare uh, space, perhaps it's it's something that uh, could help us as we as we move on. So I, I don't know if Ibuke would like to share some thoughts, but if not, I I think we just go um, right into an area that is also of keen interest interest to everyone, and that's the issue around counterfeit. You know, you cannot talk about healthcare in Nigeria, even when we're talking about technology, 
around healthcare in Nigeria, in West Africa, in the region, without talking about counterfeit. It's, it's a, a huge problem, problem in West Africa. And according to a report published by the Stanford Business, um, is a, the consequence to the rise of technology enables counterfeiters to run even more sophisticated operations and make counterfeit drugs that are harder to, de to, 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 to detect. Um, an example of this can be found in Nigeria, where despite regulators' adoption of a counterfeit drug track and trace system, there is evidence that some of these systems have been successfully copied by counterfeit drug producers. As a result, you know, counterfeit drugs now present themselves as authentic drugs. Now, again, we have online, you know, um, pharmacies, uh, or at least we are beginning to have online pharmacies. People buy things online and uh, they're not even sure, you know, if what they're buying or the medicines they're buying are true or fake. And, and still, that also goes for medical devices, like devices you get for even... Um, uses um, in the dental space. So, um, uh, Brian, I would, I would, I would um, start with you and then I would, I would go over to Ibuke. Your thoughts on how we can prevent this, this, this challenge? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, this is a crucial, um, you know, challenge in supply chain rights. So counterfeit medicines and, you know, access to quality. Um, you know, we, uh, our philosophy is that the simplest solution is the solution that's been tried and tested uh, everywhere else, right? You know, which is that you you bring uh, systems and consolidation and transparency to the overall supply chain. Um, so rather than having three, four, five, or even more layers of middlemen, uh, you know, between where the drug is manufactured and you know where the drug is actually you know, ultimately um, purchased um, or, uh, you know, or used, um, that you try and consolidate, um, you know, that pipeline as much as possible. Um, and that does a couple of things. Uh, you know, firstly, that makes it easier for you to trace um, that, you know, it is indeed authentic medicines that are flowing through that chain. There are fewer opportunities for, um, you know, bad actors, I suppose, uh, to, to insert, um, you know, their goods into that chain. Um, but secondly, it also makes it easier and cheaper um, for the patients um, to uh, uh, to get access to those medicines, right? Because everybody within that network will, will have the incentive to add um, some cost or some margin um, to um, uh, to the pro products that they're pushing along. Now, that's the ideal world, and that's effectively where we have to get to over time. Um, and that's the same place that you know many of these other countries that have a much more consolidated and organized uh, pharmaceutical supply chain. Um, that's where they are today, right? And and uh, these are the reasons that structurally we we believe that getting coordination in place um, in this space um, to overcome the fragmentation um, is uh, is is one of the biggest challenges that we have um, in the pharmaceutical space. In the absence in the absence of that, there are you know, multiple interventions that we can have. Um, but I think it's very difficult for any one of them to solve the problem fully at scale, right? Um, you know, we've tried within our network, um, you know, technology interventions, you know, where you have, you know, track and trace systems. Um, you can track the barcode um, across the uh, across the network, um, you know, across the, the value chain, um, you know, and various other systems, including some using blockchain and the latest kind of uh, technologies. Um, and I think they all have promise, 
Um, but ultimately, the key often from the patient's perspective is just cost, right? Um, access uh, to, to medicines at the right cost. And we've seen patients sometimes, you know, consciously make the trade-off of, you know, you know, we can see that this is, you know, this medicine is 10% cheaper in that pharmacy than it is in, in this pharmacy. I know there's a slight risk that it's it's also fake, but I'd rather take that risk, you know, given that it's cheaper, right? Um, and, we, you know, we see those kinds of trade-offs happening all the times in patient choices. Um, and really, you know, for us to, to you know, truly and structurally solve the problem, I think the key is to, to rationalize and to structure that supply chain um, and make coordination work properly. Thanks a lot, Brian. And Ebuke, uh, would you want to um, share some thoughts around um, not just counterfeited um, uh, dental medical devices, but also, you know, what you see in terms of, uh, uh, you know, technology playing uh, games with us, even in the space uh, where it should help us um, advance, uh, especially as we talk about counterfeits, uh, but also, again, uh, to talk about how um, the issue around the planet, uh, the planet and our health, you know, kind of tied together. So again, several questions and rolled in one sweet wrap, but um, I'm really technically handing that over to you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so in terms of counterfeiting, I think I think uh, Brian has done some good justice to that. Um, I'd also like to speak from the standpoint of um, of services as well, because we're in the service business. So and we also have the issue of um, quacks and um, non-qualified personnel treating patients. And this is this is one of the big issues we face because time and again. We come in, we, we see patients that um, have had see that have no business being extracted. We've had those teeth extracted um, sometimes, and in a lot of cases, lots of teeth extracted, teeth that were apparently healthy. Um, we also had cases where the where these people just the main point of doing this is just to generate is to generate money at the expense of the health of the patient. So for um, the medical dental council, they have tried to do something like um, a verify where you could go online and put in the uh, the ID of the doctor you're speaking to to verify if he is registered by the board. But um, a lot of patients, I mean, the, the word is not out there for people to be able to do these things. The, there hasn't been media um, coverage of that. Um, also, we have like the um, National Medical Association, Nigerian Medical Association, that um, also looks into services and quackery and things like that. Like we have cases where you have beauty clinics doing some dental procedures that are clearly not um, permitted for them to do. Um, uh, if we have these associations bringing out scapegoats and um, going as going as uh, going as far as prosecuting them i think that this would go a long way although like brian said it's a, it's a very difficult it's a very difficult problem to solve it's a very difficult problem to solve um yeah i think i think and also for uh, a planet for instance what we're doing in yanga is trying to ensure that we have 
our free time, our free space used up. So a lot of dental clinics, a lot of dental clinics experience a lot of free time. That means they do not have a lot of patient flow. So in a day, because before I, before, before I started younger, we, I was a cover doctor intentionally. So I went to several clinics. I worked at several clinics, both on the island, mainland, and more or less slums. And um, you see the same pattern. For most of these clinics, you're there um, for the whole day, maybe just one or two patients working. Some clinics, I was, some, so for some clinics I covered for three days, you don't not even see anyone coming. And they are burning um, gasoline 247 to keep the place running paying for the space and all of that. But if if we had a situation where the few existing clinics could leverage um, using that space for other doctors to come in, so they don't have to set up their own practice just when you have a patient coming. This would really, really help in terms of running costs, in, um, in terms of gasoline, you know, this would really help and this would go a long way as well in protecting our planet. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ibuke. Uh, and uh, you know, there there is quite um, a lot would like to share. I know that um, from a media standpoint, there's been a lot um, that uh, has come out in the area of counterfeit and quacks and, and things. But just to ask Shola, do you, are you aware of these uh, you know technologies within the 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 practice as a dental? Um, and the medical uh, council. Uh, is there something people need to know about it or are there ways we can ampli amplify them? Because it's very important. I, I need to know before somebody goes to extract every every teeth I have, you know, and then discover that you know, that person isn't even a, a dentist, or even a doctor for that matter. I wouldn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's right there. <laughs> but, but, but is there something um, the media is doing around, uh, you know, amplifying the new... Um, uh, technologies that have been used even within the, this council. Okay, yes, um, it was quite exciting listening to um, the younger um, spokesperson and um, the others who also spoke. Um, although I've heard about the organization, but really I'm hearing about the apps for the first time. And um, I mean, they sound quite interesting and I'm sure that Nigerians will really be um, you know, look forward to benefiting from their, uh, you know, their advantages. And, um, you know, as regards what you said about um, counterfeit drugs, yes, it's a big problem in Nigeria. It's been there. And um, really, from my own standpoint, I would say that the regulatory agencies are overwhelmed. I mean, there are no two ways about it. It's such a massive problem that we need to go back to the drawing board to uh, you know come up with uh, you know methods to tackle it. NAFDAQ is grossly overwhelmed. And I, I remember um, about uh, well over a decade ago, almost two decades ago, um, during one of the past um, director generals of um, Directors General of NAVDAC, you know, did read uh, what I would call the Riot Act. You know, she came out then to tell us that um, 
you know, counterfeit drugs in Nigeria were about, you know, about half of the drugs in Nigeria were counterfeit. And that, you know, the method adopted then was destruction. You know, once these drugs were seized, they are destroyed. We have not heard of too many people being prosecuted. You know, who are those behind all these atrocities? Even till now, all we hear is just that these drugs are destroyed. And even some of the new technologies that are, you know, the protective brand protection technologies, you find that the counterfeiters are also getting very smart. You know, they copy these seals and sometimes even the uh, manufacturers themselves cannot differentiate between the real and the counterfeit. So, it, uh, you know, it has it, it, it's such a sophisticated um, thing that it's not something we should just, you know, handle with kid gloves. And to the average Nigerian, I mean, there is no health insurance. Everybody is just looking for cheap medication. You know, nobody wants to, uh, even, even in some hospitals, you go to some hospitals, you are dispensed with the cheapest of the drugs. You know, even we've had cases where even some of the hospitals that are under HMOs, you know, they prefer to use the most affordable drugs because they want to maximize their profits. So the average Nigerian does not have what it takes to identify which drugs are real, which drugs are counterfeit. And I think that means we need to do a lot more public education and awareness. You know, it has to be a campaign, a serious campaign that should be on. Otherwise, no matter how sophisticated, and, and another thing, if the technology, the protective technology is too sophisticated, it might even put off, you know, the average user. Because, they, it, it, I mean, so many Nigerians are uneducated and they don't really have time, you know, to understand the uh, technology. They don't really, I mean, they don't want to be bothered. All they want is to get, it, you know, something that will make them feel better. So we just have to look for a way one of the ways, um, somebody has talked about the private sector. Yes, private sector can come in to help here. And the uh, idea of making people pay out of pocket, you know, is also something that we need to tackle. And then essentially, like the pharmacists have been um, campaigning for such a long time, the open drug markets, you know, the way drugs are distributed in Nigeria, we need to close these open drug markets. Drugs, it's only in Nigeria that we have open drug markets. You know, we have people selling drugs everywhere and anywhere. And these are things that we should not just be paying lip service. Government should not just pay lip service. Government should really empower and um, you know, equip NAFTAC in order to be able to carry out this function. So uh, it's exciting, the new technologies, yeah, um, young guy is talking about. Uh, we we'll look forward so that we can, you know, tell Nigerians about it. And um, I'm sure this will also go a long way to helping curb the problem of uh, counterfeiting of drugs. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Shola. Thank you. So um, we're uh, obviously running uh, very thin on 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 on, 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 on time, and uh, I, I don't know if we have some last um, parting words, uh, Ibuke and Brian. Um, just so that we uh, let a lot, of people, a lot of people know about what we are discussing. For those who are just joining this podcast, we are looking at, you know, the um, the issue around uh, healthcare progression in 
uh, in West Africa, in Africa, and then was we also looking at uh, the issues around leveraging technologies to drive uh, healthcare. So, any um, last um, parting shorts and thoughts, uh, uh, Brian Ibuke? I think from a, from my perspective, maybe just a, a note of optimism, uh, which is to say that you know over the last couple of years, uh, especially through the pandemic. Uh, you know, we've seen adoption of technology in this space, you know, really kind of blossom. Um, and, you know, the healthcare space is one of, it's a notoriously conservative space, you know, in terms of how quickly we adopt technology, but we're truly seeing that start to grow. Um, and so I think lots of, uh, lots of hope, you know, for more impact and, and more scope of that uh, going forward. Thank you. Ibuke. Okay, um, I, I agree with Brian. There has been um, a lot of um, attention to technology. We have a lot of telemedicine startups coming up and they are solving um, a part of the problem in their own way. Um, although I, I, I think that for efficiency, we still have to look into um, funding, funding facilities, funding infrastructure, right? And these infrastructures can be powered by technology, these infrastructure, these infrastructures can be can be powered by technology. They can be, they can share information together with um, softwares. The clinics, for instance, can be managed with softwares, and this helps with efficiency of the process. This helps with um, time as well. Helps to save time. Thank you. Thank you so much. So yeah, thank you everyone. We have really sadly come to the end of this uh, conversation, this show. And um, the Business Exchange is on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And uh, on social media, like I said, follow us at abcouncil underscore ng on Instagram and on LinkedIn, um, American Business Council Nigeria. Uh, we'll continue the conversation there and also we'll continue the conversation on our Twitter handle as well. Uh, just just to, to, to wrap up to say that um, Obviously, new technologies and innovation remain critical to improve healthcare in, in, in Africa. And that, yes, the government is not doing as much as they should, but they also need the support and partnership with private sector uh, to help you know, advance this forward. And that issues of healthcare um, and health insurance would also be helpful in, 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 in getting a lot more people to have access to, to, to healthcare. And perhaps there may be some kind of uh, uh, interest in how we can drive this uh, insurance conversation with the new technologies that are coming up in the healthcare space. And then also that public education and campaign is, is it remains important to uh, drive uh, people's understanding of you know, where they should, what is healthy, what is safe, even preventive healthcare. And, and all that, this is important. And again, this can be done using, you know, social media to, to drive that. But I also um, share the sentiments of uh, Shonda that said, well, if things, technology is too sophisticated, it could also become a derailer. Well, you know, I, on, on, on the other side, even though I know I just have some few seconds left, I, I know someone who is completely, I mean, she she's not able to do two letter words, but I tell you she's on Facebook, she's on, WhatsApp and somewhere along the line she's able to communicate. I don't know how, don't ask me. So um, on this note, I would say um, thank you so much uh, for uh, being our guest and thank you our great listeners for uh, being uh, continually 
faithful to joining us every time on our podcast and then see you next episode same time on tuesday the 26th of march and again once again uh thank you for listening <laughs>